welcome to the next episode of Nefarious New York. I'm Allison, and I'm here with Meredith. I'm here. So today we're going to cover a case that Meredith really wanted to cover, and I am going in partially blind, not completely, So, but she's definitely taking the lead on this one. So uh, off you go, Mare. This is a very controversial topic, but one that I really wanted to cover because of a loose personal connection that we both have. We're going to be covering the problem of sexual abuse of minors by Catholic priests and deacons with a particular focus on William T. White. Now, Mm -hmm. I know that name sounds familiar to you, but keep it to yourself for now. I will. So I did a lot of research, and there were several documents, a ton of articles that I came across. I'm going to try to make this not so technical. One is the John Jay Report, the official Catholic Directory, the Journal News, Dallas News, and a Supreme Court County of New York report. Okay. I'm going to start with the John Jay Report. And basically, this 2004 report by the John Jay College of Criminal Justice was commissioned by the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. And it's based on surveys completed by the Roman Catholic Diocese in the United States, not worldwide. And of course, just recently, they started to do reports from around the world. And uh, it covers the nature and the scope of the problem of sexual abuse of minors by the Catholic priests and deacons. The number of alleged abuses increased in the 1960s. It peaked in the 1970s. It then declined in the 1980s and by the 1990s had returned to the levels of the 1950s. In 2004, the John Jay Report tabulated a total of 4,392 priests and deacons in the U.S. against whom allegations of sexual abuse had been made. And the numbers of reported abuse allegations and court cases, as I said before, have increased worldwide since then. You following me here? I am. I'm, I'm following you. Go ahead. So the report determined that during the period from 1950 to 2002, now pay attention to the numbers here, A total of 10,667 individuals had made allegations of child sexual abuse. Of these, the diocese had been able to identify 6,700 unique accusations against that 4,392 clergy over that period. So that 4,392, which was about 4% of all almost 110,000 ordained clergy, priests, deacons, members of religious orders active in the USA during the time covered by the study. Of the 4,392 accused, 252 were convicted. Seems low, right? That seems ridiculous. First of all, the amount of complaints over that long of a period of time seems low. Well, from what we know, you know. Correct, but there's an explanation for that. Of the of that 4,000 number that were accused, 3,300 were not investigated because the cleric had already died. Right. Because, remember, this report is being done in 2004. A lot of this abuse took place in the 50s. 
So of the remainder, 1,021 were reported to police, and of those, 384 were charged, resulting in 252 convictions and 100 prison sentences. So out of the almost 110,000 priests who were surveyed, 100 were imprisoned. A lot of these these alleged abuses were, were being hidden. Uh, they were being hidden by the archdiocese. They were being hidden by the religious figures that were in power. And I wonder, too, how many people haven't still like. So let's pretend it was us when we were younger. Yep. We're only in our 40s yep. now. We still may not be comfortable talking about it. A hundred percent. Absolutely. So there's probably so many more out there that are still scared to talk about it. Right. Right. And these are, you know, with the research that I did, you obviously have young boys. There were also girls. That number is much lower, but there, there were boys and girls. Take out the fact that you were being abused, but it's not that easy for a boy to come forward and say he was being abused by another male. Right. So let's get to one of these religious figures. So today I'm going to be focusing on William T. White. Now, Allison, I know this name sounds familiar yes. to you. Very familiar. Obviously, we both know William T. White. Just to go over his religious career. So William T. White was a priest of the Archdiocese of New York. He was ordained in 1958. He worked as an assistant priest at a Manhattan parish early on named Holy Cross in the Bronx, I believe. And that was from 1958 to 65. In that school, there were boys and girls. Then from 1965 to 1975, he spent a decade at Archbishop Stepanak High School. And I know you're probably familiar with that high school. Yeah, yep. In White Plains. Uh, that was, mm -hmm. students were all male there, and he served as a counselor and dean of students. And the reason why I'm going over some of these is because, obviously, he had a very long career, but he was in very powerful positions. So that assignment was followed by a year with the Archdiocesan Department of Education in New York, and then for the next six years... He served as principal of Cardinal Spellman High School in the Bronx. Then White was elevated to Monsignor in 1979. And this is where... Now he's sounding familiar. Uh-huh. And here's where it's going to sound really familiar. So from 1982 to 1994, White served as pastor of a parish in New Rochelle, Holy Family School. And that is the school you and I attended together from kindergarten to eighth grade. So we graduated in 89. 80 to 89, we were there. Is that right? Uh, about that. Roughly, roughly. So that's basically his... Almost all of his tenure. He was there from 1982 to 1994. So then there's a gap in his assignments from 1994 to 1995. And then during 1995 to 2002, White taught at St. Vincent de Paul Regional Seminary in Boynton Beach, Florida, in the Palm Beach diocese and then he was assisting at area parishes he is not indexed beyond the 2002 directory hmm i wonder why 
I'm gonna guess we're gonna find out. We are going to find out. Now, before we get to the allegations, I wanted to talk a little bit about Monsignor White and our experiences with him. Do you have any experiences with Monsignor White? Now, my experiences are not as um, in-depth as yours, but uh, just a general experience of him. I was very afraid of him. I don't know who wasn't. And he was just like, I'm known as like a very mean, strict. Right. Right. Priest. Like you, you weren't feeling like the love or the warmth from him. No, there was something very cold about him. And I remember a particular incident that I've always spoken about. And I was in the school playground after, after a mass or I, I forget what it was. And I was with my mom and Monsignor White came over to my mom because, as you know, my mom was very much involved with the rectory. And I, I, he just, he gave me the creeps and not that I thought he was, you know, a, a pedophile, which I didn't even know at the time, but he was, he was very mean. He was very cold and there was something about him that I did not like. Right. You weren't, like, um, not exposed to other priests. Right. You had also priests that were friends of your family that came over and whatever that you were perfectly comfortable and friendly with. So it wasn't, like, a priest Absolutely. Thing. It was not a priest thing because we had amazing priests there. You know, because some people would just be intimidated by the fact that he's a priest. Right. Right. No, that there wasn't was something it. about him. And I remember he came over to me and my mother, and I didn't say anything. And he said, Meredith... You don't say hello to Monsignor White. And I just stood there and my mother said, Meredith, say hello to Monsignor White. So I said hello. And then on the way back home, I remember she said to me, why didn't you say hello to Monsignor White? And I said, because I don't like him. There is one incident that I remember like it was yesterday. And this one kid who was a good friend of ours. I will not say his name, but he was a very good friend of my twin brothers. He came into class one day and we we were really young. We were maybe in like third or fourth grade, something like that. And he came in and he was crying. Now, if you know the kid that I'm talking about, this was not a crier. This kid was not... Right, I know. You know exactly who I'm talking about. And he was crying. And we said, what happened? And he said, Monsignor White punched me in the face. And we were like, what? And he said, yeah. And he said to me, who do you think they're going to believe, you or me? He was at Holy Family until 1994. So in 1997, a man reported to the archdiocese that White sexually abused him over a three-year period, beginning when the man was a 17-year-old Stepanak student in the 1970s. Right. Here's the crazy part. White admitted to the abuse. Yep. I'm going to call this guy Kay. Mm-hmm. The articles do use his full name, but I just, out of respect yeah. for him, I, I don't want to use his full name. So Kay seemed to have a classic Catholic upbringing right out of a Bing Crosby movie. So he grew up in Croton-on-the-Hudson. Mm-hmm. He was an altar boy. He was a student at Holy Name of Mary Parish, where his father was a lector. Kay... Mm-hmm. ends up going to Archbishop Stepanak High School in White Plains. And at Stepanak, as part of the class of 1996, he was captain of the football team. He was an A student. And Mother Teresa had come to their school. 
and he was chosen and supported Mother Teresa's arm when she visited the school. So, you know, by all accounts, a, a very good student, a very good kid. But Kay says his life was nearly ruined by a former Stepanak administrator, William White. He says that William White took advantage of him sexually for three years, beginning in his senior year at Stepanak. Kay said that he kept it a secret, fearing that no one would believe him, which is completely normal. Right. Until 1997, when he told his parents and reported it to the Archdiocese of New York. He infiltrated his family. He came to Sunday dinner, holidays. Wait, do you know why in 1997, why he told his family and everything? I think he started to have some issues and decided to come forward. In one I saw, it said he was just felt like damaged goods and he was going to leave his wife and two sons and just move out and be on his own because he was just so torn up about all this. But she, which I think she's awesome, she wouldn't allow it, told him he's got to come forward with what happened and tell his parents first. So his wife wouldn't let him leave and made him go tell his parents. But his father then called White and, you know, was confronting White about it. So then White, as like a damage controller, this is just a weird thing. He went to the archdiocese and they sent him for a psychological evaluation. And it came back saying there were no sexual abnormalities and they put him right back into teaching. Is that freaking crazy? Right. And that's because in the beginning, when I start, when I was talking about, you know, when I first mentioned it, he, they said White admitted to the abuse. His excuse was that it was a consensual affair. I, I am amazed that they didn't find anything psychologically wrong with him, but he said in an interview about Kay that the inappropriateness began because of a psychological and mental closeness to him and the rest of his family that just naturally moved over into something physical. Like, what? Naturally? Yeah, just moved over into something physical. Like, that was the natural progression of that connection. Kay did reach a $100,000 settlement with the Archdiocese in 1998 apparently ending the matter quietly. The head of a Florida seminary where White was teaching at the time did tell him to leave right. the faculty after learning of the allegations and the settlement. So Mon Monsignor Stephen Basso, who was a rector of St. Vincent de Paul Regional Seminary, that's the one in Florida, right. said he would have gotten rid of him sooner if the archdiocese had informed him of the settlement. And he said, I wish they would have told me. But Joseph Zwilling, who was a spokesman for the Archdiocese, said that they told the Florida Seminary everything about White's background. And he just said they were aware of it when we were aware of it. So here is the other crazy part. When I was going through this article, a few people that they interviewed, I know very, very, very personally. <laughs> so it was very, very weird. And they interviewed the Nourishelle mayor at the time of the article. And he said he was taken aback but by the allegations against White. Another very good friend of my family's, who was a Nourishelle councilman, remembered White from Holy Family and Spelman High School. He said he had a decent relationship with him, but with White, a lot of the parishioners didn't like his rigid leadership, which is exactly what we were talking about before. So there were, there were a couple of articles on this victim, Kay, and he contends that the trouble started when he had suffered a serious football injury in his senior year. 
White started visiting him in the hospital. He was depressed. He was vulnerable. And that White, you know, came into his family and, and was like part of the family. And th the sad part about this is that he was a 17-year-old high school student and then an 18- and 19-year-old college student. So he was old enough to consent to an adult relationship. And he understood why that would be difficult for people to understand. But I'm like, there's no excuse for that. No. He was like part of the family. So Kay held 12 jobs in 14 years. He developed a drinking problem and was failing his wife and his two sons. And, you know, he later on began to make peace with his past after he talked to his parents and the archdiocese. And at the time of the article, he was working as a psychiatric nurse at a prison, sometimes uh, with victims of sexual abuse as well. Okay. So they would go out to dinner. So White would get them drinks. Mm-hmm. Right. And then he would say he couldn't drive him home. So he would have to stay with him at his like faculty housing. Yes. And then White would like crawl into bed with him like in the middle of the night creeper and try to like fondle him. Kay said that he tried to stay away and turn down his invitations to dinner, mm -hmm. but then White would tell Kay's parents that he was being ungrateful and disrespectful and that he should like appreciate what White was doing for him. So they would make him go to dinner with him. When White was interviewed about this, this is what he said, quote, I think human nature, you do hope it would go away. But I knew it would never go away, especially in my heart. Ill. You know what makes me even sicker? I remember going to confession. With this idiot, right? Face to face with this idiot and him making me feel small for my little sins. Like, oh, I fight with my brothers. I fight with my sister. And you feel like you're the scum of the earth. And then this asshole is sitting there giving you 10 Hail Marys to say. Right. Are you kidding me? Like, what What do you do for that? What do you give them? Listen, recite the Beatitudes and say the rosary a hundred thousand times a day. The hypocrisy is mind-boggling to me. When White was removed from the ministry in March 2002, hmm, coincidence, this was the same month Palm Beach Bishop Anthony O'Connell resigned after admitting to having sexually abused boys as well. And O'Connell had replaced Bishop Keith Simons, who resigned in 1998 after admitting to the sexual abuse of boys. In 2004, White was accused in a lawsuit of the sexual abuse of a boy between the ages of 9 and 11 during 1959 to 61. Mm -hmm. So the boy was in the church choir at Holy Cross Parish in New York, to which White was assigned by the archdiocese and during this assignment white sexually abused john doe so the tasks and this is scary in which white was engaged at the time were administrative authorized by the archdiocese and concerned the supervision of children mm -hmm. upon the information and belief white knew that it was the policy and the practice of the archdiocese not to discipline priests who sexually abuse children and to cover up instances of such abuse. And he relied upon that policy and practice in engaging in sexually abusive conduct. So um, this is this is going to get a little graphic here. But so John Doe 
again, I, I mentioned before, sang in the choir at Holy Cross Parish Church in Manhattan, which White directed. So most of the abuse that took place was in the kindergarten classroom, and it consisted of hugging, dry humping, while kissing him on the neck, head, and face. White would strap John Doe over a desk, strike his butt slowly while masturbating under his robe. If John Doe tried to turn over, White would yell at him to stay down. White would tell John Doe not to tell his parents what he was doing and assured him that no one else would love him as much as he did. So the abuse occurred one or two times a week over the period. So that's one or two times a week over a couple of years. As a result of the abuse, John Doe experienced pain, suffering, obviously. He had a mental breakdown in 1966 and was hospitalized for five months. At the time, he had suffered from flashbacks and nightmares causing him to jump in his sleep. The last I could tell from, from articles is that he was an adult male currently residing in the state of New York. You know, part of the problem is that Catholic leaders knew this was going on, and there's countless articles. It says roughly two-thirds of top U.S. Catholic leaders have allowed priests accused of sexual abuse to keep working, and it was a systematic practice that spanned over decades and continues today. I read an article last week that was talking about the shortage of priests. Obviously, you know, these scandals destroyed the Catholic Church, and they were a very, very powerful entity. Well, the interesting thing is I feel like now the archdiocese is maybe starting to take a little bit of responsibility. And so I did go on the archdiocese on their website, and there is a message from Timothy Cardinal Dolan. It says, Dear member of the family of the archdiocese, as we continue the Easter season and affirm once again the central reality of our faith that the Lord through his cross has brought us to the new life in the resurrection, we live as people of hope in the face of all the evil and sin we find in our world, and sad to say, even in our church. More specifically, I write today because after hearing from many victims, survivors, many of you, and many priests, I have decided to publish a comprehensive list of all archdiocesan clergy credibly accused of sexual abuse of minors or who were the subject of a claim made to the archdiocese's independent reconciliation and compensation program. So on archnewyork.org, there is a list. And obviously, you know, they have to put the disclaimer that it's a list of you know, credibly accused, and obviously people are blah, blah, innocent until proven guilty. Um, what he does go on to say is that there is not a single priest or deacon of the Archdiocese of New York against whom there has been a credible and substantiated claim of abuse against a minor currently in ministry. The, the sad part about this letter is that they actually have a victim's assistance coordinator Mm -hmm. who is employed with, with the archdiocese and there's a phone number and an email for people to go to if they have, have a complaint or someone to report. And that's really sad that there's actually a position that's de dedicated just to that. So he ends the letter 
and says, Jesus, risen from the dead, shatters the darkness of evil and death and brings us to new life. It is my heartfelt prayer that together we as a family of faith may be healed and so bring the light of the resurrection to the darkness of our world. Faithfully in Christ, Timothy Michael Cardinal Dolan, Archbishop of New York. I wanted to cover this because, honestly, there was always something about this guy I did not like. And I remember saying it. And when I first saw that he was being accused, and I think it was, God, it was like 10 years ago when I was watching the news and I saw it. And I literally called my mother. I said, I told you there was something about this guy I didn't like. That was Meredith taking the lead on a case that was very important to her. And that is the end of this episode of Nefarious New York. So please, please, please go on Apple Podcasts or wherever you would listen to podcasts. Search us up. Leave a review if you're going to be nice. Um, Five stars would be great. Uh, We're on Instagram and Facebook where I'll put pictures that coincide with the episodes that we have up. So you can go on there and see pictures that go with all the episodes. And you can also just email us um, comments or ideas to nefariousny at yahoo.com. That's N-E-F-A-R-I-O-U-S-N-Y at yahoo.com. <laughs> Nefarious New York. <laughs>